0: We're continuing on in our series through Joshua that we will be doing all throughout this semester, and we're gonna have a grad each Monday morning share with us, which is exciting. So, uh, chapter six, take it away, Jen. Thank you, hi, hello, oh yeah, there we go. Had to do that, couldn't start without that. Um, Like I've said, my name's Jen, and if I haven't met you, hi. a little bit about me, I feel like this sums me up well. I love people, I love chai lattes, and I love being married to Levi. so there we go. That's all you need to know. Thank you, Raiden. (laughs) Um, We're just gonna dive in, because there's literally, whoa. Okay, we all know Jericho, Joshua 6, but like there's so much goodness. We just have to dive in. Um, But I have a confession. Um, We're about to see what has been rattling in my head these last few weeks as I've prepared. Um, for me, we can put it up, uh, I watched the Veggie Tales when I prepared for this sermon. (laughs) I kind of just wanted to play it, but apparently that's not allowed. So, here we have a very historically accurate depiction of what I gleaned from. We have my good friend Jean claude and Philippe, the peas. And apparently Israel was a carrot, uh, whatever those things are on the side, and a few more vegetables. So that's all you need to know. Um, no, I wish it was that easy. No, but it was great. I actually would highly recommend Josh and the Big Wall. So good. So many memories. Um, how do you transition from Veggie Tales? I don't know. But I do want to say, I know that for some, maybe you're like me and veggie Tales is what comes to mind when you think of this passage. But I want to be so aware and so like understanding that some are coming in and they hear this passage and they're like, no, not again. They're like, you're going to talk about the walls about to fall. And they get taken back to like summer camp where the pastor was like, you're on your lap seven. Walls are coming down tonight. And then they left with the baggage they had. There was no walls that came down. And now they're carrying that weight. Maybe you feel like you're not getting the formula right. Maybe you feel a lot of disappointment. You feel that hope deferred. And I want to say to you, I don't pretend to know what you're coming in with and how you're approaching this passage. But I want you to know that you have a friend in that. Um, that happens to be me, (laughs) but probably a lot of other people in this place. And for me, um, yes, I like chai lattes and I like Levi, but I have a history with Jerichos in my life and waiting, um, and that feeling that you might have when you approach this passage from a season that you're in like that. Um, some of those Jerichos, I won't get into all of them, but some of them were, um, me waiting eight years to receive healing for anxiety from grade three to grade 10, I waited. Um, and it was beautiful and I love that story and the Lord plumbed great depths in me. Plumbed? I don't know. Um, but that was a Jericho face and it wasn't like a one and done. Um, another one that I might be referencing a bit, this sermon was cancer. So I was supposed to come uh, to Summit right out of high school. And the week before my grad, I got a call, my sister got a call that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so what that meant was I didn't come to summit. I instead um, did four months of chemo and then many more months of unpacking that trauma. Um, But the beautiful thing about that is like, in my own way, I get it. Like I get the feeling of like, wow, I'm in a season that I never thought I'd be in and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and it feels like forever and I don't wanna be here and why would you ever bring this passage up because you're just gonna tell me the walls are falling. and some may see a great victory today, and I believe for that. And so I'm holding intention. tension this idea of, like, God is so victorious. Like, when I read this passage, I just see such a beautiful, beautiful Savior. And yet I understand the weight. And so um, I don't intend to know what you're going through, but I do intend to bring hope today and the hope of this passage. And I believe there's something for us, even though we've probably heard it a thousand times. Um... And so if you need a title, the title today is Waiting is Not a Waste. And so out of the fruits of my life, out of the fruits of this passage, we're going to kind of go through that. Like what were the Israelites modeling that I can say that, that like waiting for them was not a waste. It wasn't void of God's presence. We're going to get into that. But I'm just going to pray. Gav's Gav's been praying beautifully today. I'm just going to pave the way. We probably, I probably need it. Okay, Jesus, I just thank you that you're here. I thank you that wherever we come from today, however we're approaching this passage, that you know. And that you're there, and that this scripture isn't just words on a page, it's actually alive. And so I ask, Lord, that you would come speak to every heart in the way that only you can. I thank you that you use things like worship and sermons, but God, I pray, I thank you that Holy Spirit, you do the work. And so we just invite you right now, Father, we invite you to bring hope, we invite you to bring your victory. You're such a victorious God, and we believe that. And we invite you to speak. In the way that only you can through this passage. And we thank you that we get to look at it today. In your name. Amen. So it wouldn't be a summit grad chapel without some context. So we're just gonna do a little bit of context, get that out of the way. We're gonna read a lot of verses, it's gonna be great. Um, so we've we've been listening to Gav and then Brad take us into Joshua. And so what's happened right now, we've seen Joshua um, take on the leadership role in this nation. It's gone from Moses to Joshua. He's modeling a lot. He's sending in spies. He's leading them in covenant practices. Um, It's actually so interesting. The chapter before this one, Joshua actually brings them back into covenant ceremonies like circumcision and Passover. And what was so interesting to me is that at the end of that chapter, at the end of Passover, they actually, the manna that had been providing for them stopped. And that was just a sign of like, you're actually going to start feeding off the harvest of the promised land. Like it's time, it's time. This is anticipation building. Oh my goodness, we've crossed a body of water like they did when they let, left Egypt. And we're, we're seeing this and we're hearing the words be strong and courageous. This is another crazy thing. Okay, in the Bible, that word, those words are only spoken 11 times. All in the Old Testament. Three are in Chronicles after the life of Joseph, Joshua, Joseph, Joshua. And then five of those are in, eight in Deuteronomy and Joshua, five in Joshua, four of which are in chapter one. So there's like a foundation being laid of anticipation and a war cry being laid of like, we're strong and courageous because we're in the Lord. And so this is like building like the, whew, the fervor of anticipation. And then a little bit on Jericho. So they're outside, they're camping outside this city. It's walled. Um, and even though it looked like a fortress, the people inside were scared. They weren't repentant and they weren't in a humble posture. They're Canaanites and, and living in, Wild opposition to Yahweh. Um, But they were so fearful. We're going to see again in the start of Joshua 6. Like they were barricaded in there. Because they understood the reputation of Yahweh. Where he was, things changed. Um, And so the significance of Jericho for the Israelites is that this was a marking battle. This is the first in like the conquest of Canaan. And this is what some would call a decisive battle. It was... um, transitioning the tribes from wilderness into citizens and possessing the land. And whatever happened here would set the tone for the rest. So it's like high stakes, it's high stakes. But now let's read. So we're gonna start in Joshua six verse one and we're gonna go 20 verses in. I know it's gonna be great. And I'm reading NLT as you can see. So it starts here. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horns, all the people will shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, don't even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord the seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Um, again, the mar- armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Now, Oh, anticipation. Here we go. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, whew, here we go. They went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble onto the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the shout of the ram's horns, or the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. That is the word of the Lord. Um, and it goes on, and they go and they capture it, they devote things to destruction. And the chapter ends with Joshua giving a curse, saying, hey, if you rebuild any part of this, it ain't going to be good for you. Um, And so, okay, we're sifting through 20 verses. Like, whoa, that's a lot. Um, But thankfully, I've sifted through it a a little earlier. And this is a model of faithfulness, right? Like, this is, okay, this is a model of faithfulness. It's kind of a perfect model. We're watching the Israelites finally obey. It's beautiful. What does this say to us? How do we follow this model? Like, what makes it practical? And the two things that I kind of sifted out of that was identity and obedience. And we're going to look at identity first. and these are so simple, but I think sometimes we just like lose our grasp on them and things get a little too loud. Um, but first, we're not just going to look at our identity. We're going to look at God's identity. And there's just two, one, one. Oh, that's great. <laughs> there's just two things we're going to look at. Um, we've we've talked about Joshua as a great leader, and he is. And we've talked about the Israelites, and we've seen them. If you've read the Old Testament, wow, what a journey. Mark Hawk says, amen. Um, but like, this chapter specifically is just magnifying someone, and that's Yahweh. Like, you can't get away from it. Oh, it's so exciting. It's so great. Like, he is on full display. None of this is capable, possible without him. None of this would happen without him. None of this would be even a dream for the Israelites without him. Um, And so we're going to look at that, like, whoa, how does that shape them? Like, knowing the identity of their God, shapes them it allows them it equips them to to obey and so what does that look like first they know through this passage through this experience that God is sovereign and incomparable 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 either all um and this shows itself in a few different places in the passage and so the first is Joshua 6 2 and then 16 and so it's God talking to Joshua and then in verse 16 Joshua saying what God said to the people and the first one is I have given you Jericho just like straight up no no brick has tingled, dropped from the wall. And he's already saying, I have given you Jericho. Tingle, what a word. Okay. The next one is in verse 16, right? And then this is Joshua. They've marched. They've been marching all week. They've now marched for probably hours on this seventh day. And he says, the Lord hat like shout, the Lord has given you this city. Victor Hamilton was uh, someone I was reading in preparation, and he says this so well. He says, God's promise to do something about the language here. And the imminent future is put in Hebrew verbal form that suggests it has already happened. Exactly the same phenomenon is present in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. There are various names for this use of the perfect tense. A perfect of certitude, a perfective of confidence, a perfective future. A means of expressing a vivid future when the action is considered as good as done. God's promissory word is as good as done. And that just like struck me. It's like there was such a confidence and they were able to walk in such a confidence because they understood that when God has said in very plain terms, I have already given this to you, it was as good as done. And they just had to obey. It made it so much simpler for them. The second thing we see is um, how he's incomparable to any wall or idol. The people of Jericho were like being defended by a wall. They put their trust in bricks. And it was a big brick wall, but that was where their hope was set. And so we see in the first part of this chapter, the gates were tightly shut and no one was going in or out, like a fortified city, a fortified town. And then at the end in verse 20, the Lord is so incomparable to a wall. He's so much mightier that he's able to bring it down and the people can charge straight in. Like that's the God they're serving. And they are so confident in the fact that my God can take a fortified wall and bring it to dust. And I will obey because of that. Like that shaped them in such a way, they were so convinced of that in such a way that it allowed them and equipped them to move. Um, and my last thing here was just Joshua 6, 18 to 19. The Lord, uh, Joshua was saying, hey, don't take this, don't take this, devote everything to destruction or the treasury, like you don't want any part of this plunder. Um, and this just struck me. It's like, he is so much mightier than anything we could ever plunder or keep in our possession from a Jericho that we face. Like for me, that was anxiety. It got to the point with anxiety where I had to be so convinced that no, I wanted no part of that anymore. And there was more to it than that. But I was so convinced that that lifestyle had nothing for me. That I was willing to step into the unknown, the scariest thing. And take on everything the Lord had and take and lay hold of everything I had in that life like we don't want any part of that plunder the lord is so much mightier and so we, if he asks me to devote everything to him i will because i believe that he's mightier and that he has better right it's simple but we forget i forget oh i hear you jerry come on um thank you i will um the second point here and i was telling him earlier this is like my this is just the best ever i just love the lord Um, is that God is with, we see from this passage, who is God? He is Emmanuel in this passage. He is in the midst, literally in the midst. I don't know if you noticed, I read a lot of verses. I read 20 verses. And in those 20, the ark was mentioned nine times. So almost half of the verses had the ark mentioned. And Brad actually shared something about the ark and its presence with the people in Joshua 3. And it struck me, I don't know why it took 22 years, but apparently it did, that like so often I'll read in the Old Testament about the Ark of the Lord and I just I'm like, oh the box. Okay, good. And I keep reading. But the reality is, like before the New Covenant, before the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the literal presence of the Lord. And it changed the things in its atmosphere and in its midst. And so when it says nine times, and the the ark was in front of them, and the ark was behind them, and the ark was with them, and it was going with them, and it was like a command to bring it with them at all times. That's the Lord saying, I'm not just going to call you something. In this case, a wait. There's movement in the way. I'm not just going to call you to that and then go on vacation for a week and then come back to you when it's like, oh, it's my, my turn in the spotlight. He's actually like, I'm such a kind, near father that I will actually walk with you. As I call you to wait, I'm not just checking out. I'm actually in the weight with you. And so that again, this knowledge, my goodness, thank you. (laughs) It's so good. So this knowledge, the Israelites again are equipped to obey because they have a clear understanding that the Lord is with them. And that's like all they needed. That's all they needed is, hey, my God is with me. Um, And so when we trust God and we acknowledge him as victorious, as Emmanuel, as with us, as mightier, as having better for us than any other thing in our life could ever have, um, it helps the process of getting to the victorious end be a little less daunting. And so the next thing I want to look at is Israel's obedience. So how did the identity shape their obedience and then what did that obedience look like and what can we learn from it? And the first is that they one one again. Okay. I gotta work on my PowerPoint skills. Uh, um, the, The first is that Um, the Israelites weren't deterred by it not being easy. Again, I think we come to this passage and we're like, okay, they marched. Or in the vegetables case, they hopped around Jericho. (laughs) And we're like, okay, and I can read this chunk in like 30 seconds. Okay, they walked. The second day they walked. At the seventh day, they walked seven times. But the reality is they were asked to walk around a city. The entire nation had to get around it. I was talking to Alf. I was trying to figure out, like, is it eight? Was Jericho eight football fields big? Like, I was just, like, trying to do my research. I'm like, how big was this place? And he was like, it would depend on the, the walls and the size of Jericho. It would also really depend on the nation. But give or take, they were walking, let's say, like an hour. You're waiting for old Betsy Lou, and you have, like, the priests up front, and your whole nation has to get around once a day. So let's say they're in the sun, in the dirt, for an hour a day. Let's just say an hour. And on top of that, Joshua says, you can't talk and you have to listen to horns. What? I'd be like, Levi, I can't do this. Leave me in the camp. Um, (laughs) Go walk. I don't like hikes anyway. But so every single person in the nation is not just called to partake, but they're called to walk. They're not just called to walk, they're called to walk and have the entire nation get around the city. They're not just called to that, it's in the sun. It's multiple times and they're not allowed to talk and they have to listen to a beautiful trumpet, but not a trumpet, just a horn in their ear. Like, this wasn't an easy thing they were called to do for obedience. They would have done 13 laps in a week. Like, that would have been sore feet. Like, this was not easy. But God doesn't call us to easy obedience. He calls us to faithful obedience, right? And there's a distinction in that. And again, their understanding of who God was in their situation personally to them and as a nation corporately, what, like, allowed them to do that and do that faithfully. Gav said in his first sermon on this series, he said, leadership is primarily about character. It's about faithful obedience through a variety of easy and difficult circumstances about making the right decisions, even if they're the hardest unpopular ones. And Robert Hubbard Jr., my name, he talks about spiritual fitness. And so this was obedience, not easy, but faithful, that provided spiritual fitness for the Israelites. And they were, at every step they took, shed the doubt. And that builds anticipation. It might not have looked like much to the people of Jericho, looking over their wall like, okay, Jean-Claude is walking, good, good. like, what the heck? This isn't even a military strategy. And yet it was building this anticipation. It was cutting away the things that had no place in their lives. And it was putting the, again, the spotlight back on Yahweh. Like, he's here. He's with them. He's calling us to this. Okay, it might look real funny, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it faithfully. And the second thing here is this rock my world too? was that obedience was both individual and corporate and so so often we we either in our moments of waiting we isolate and we're like hey, I just gotta do it that's my thing I go into go mode I'm like okay I just have to get through this the Lord's asking me to do this or I feel like I have to do this okay I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna get it done but yes there was beautiful examples we see up until this point and within this chapter of individual obedience right and that's such an aspect of it I can't make you obey I can't bring the faithfulness of God that comes from obedience in your life by me walking you have to walk so individual obedience is so important we see that in Joshua we see him just before this he sees the commander of the Lord's army and he falls on his face when he's asked to take his sandals off because it's holy ground he takes his sandals off he's in full reverence um submission to the Lord mode like he is in the posture of obedience he doesn't hesitate. He takes the word of the Lord right to the people and commands them. Um, and then we see Rahab, right? She's mentioned in this. And in Joshua 2, she obeys, even though she's surrounded by every other voice. Her entire city, she was probably like one in that city that that obeyed Yahweh. But she obeys, right? This beautiful posture of obedience, even in the face of being surrounded by everything counter to what you're doing. Um Believing Yahweh for His promise, and we see that promise fulfilled in this chapter. Go get Rahab, like save her and her family. She's been obedient again. At the end, he specifically is like, "Go in and get her," and she gets taken out safely. Um, it's beautiful. But the another beautiful part of this is that it was a obedience done by an entire nation. Like that'd be like our chapel getting out and like we're taking a pause. And we're gonna go walk. If that was the Lord, what the Lord called us to, we're gonna go walk together. And they took it on as a corporate obedience. Um, Everyone had a role, not just the priests, not just the armed men, but everyone had a role. Everyone had a role to shout, to walk. Maybe you were carrying the ark, or maybe you were blowing a horn, but everyone had a role. No one was left out. And I think the beautiful thing about this is I've experienced that in my life too, in a way. Um, I have journals that I have not opened on here because they're imagery. Um, This journal is an example of the two of these things. So this journal was the first one I had when I had cancer. Um, And if you open it, there's images of, there's an image of the obedience that I was called to in that season. So I was called to be faithful and and express the promises of the Lord over my life, even when I didn't see it. So I'm able to write in this journal, Psalm 91, no evil will come to pass, no plague will come to my tent as I'm getting chemo. And I'm able to declare the promises of God, be really brutally honest, know that my God loves me and, and, and journey through this journal, write all about that journey and, and be obedient in declaring scripture, praying, bringing those as things as part of my spiritual fitness in that season into my life. But the corporate aspect of it and the one inside of it is I only had this journal because someone, a Heaney, love her, back home, took me for coffee and then said, Jen, I have to... I've been asked by the Lord to buy this journal for you. I want, We're going to go to Indigo and you're going to pick whichever one you want. And I'm going to buy it. And so in my journey, I was individually obedient. I declared the promises of the Lord. I stayed close to him. I stayed steadfast. I did my best. I didn't do perfect, but I did my best. And then I had people through that entire time come beside me. Ahini, she buys me a journal. Yeah, I could have gotten a journal, but this marked me. Like This literally marked that season for me because she was obedient in a corporate setting. I had my pastor who every time I would get to my, um, they call it daycare, what a name, uh, for my chemo. He would be there and I had the quilt that his wife bought for me so that I didn't have to associate chemo with another blanket. And I would have that and he would come and he would be doing visits and he, every time he did not miss a chemo, he would pray with me. Being obedient and it impacts each other's lives when we do it corporately. It's beautiful. We had someone who, I'll just give one more example but it's so beautiful. Um, we had a family friend who would cook a meal every day. I had a treatment, every two weeks. And the thing about chemo is like, sometimes you're like, that tastes divine. And then the next day you're like, why did I ever like that meal? That is horrible. And she would literally take suggestions up until the night before, even the morning of, of what to cook me if I like liked one thing and didn't like it the next week. Like that is faithful corporate obedience and it marks each other and it's bearing with each other. And so my question would be, Are you bearing with people? If you're in a great season or not, are you bearing with people in their Jerichos? Like maybe you don't feel like you're around a Jericho and you're like, I don't know what she's talking about. But okay then, are you with someone else in theirs? Like, are you marching with them? Are you supporting them? Are you bearing with them? Because even though we're a school of Bible college students, like people have their crap. People have their Jerichos and we need to be with them in that. And it's a corporate call. It's not just, hey, you go march and you be a good person in your waiting season. It's like, no, I'm going to march with you because that's the body of Christ, and it's so beautiful. Um, I'm going to get the band to come back up, because this is just too good of a passage not to respond to, right? So we've learned that God in this passage has shown himself so much higher than anything we face. We know him as trustworthy. We know him as set apart. We know him as Emmanuel, and we know that what we're called to isn't easy, but it's faithfulness, and that ultimately, obedience will bear the fruit of victory, even if there's a weight. Like, that's just, like, a simple truth. Obedience will bear the fruit of victory, even if there's a weight involved. And that doesn't mean that your weight is purposeless, and it doesn't mean that God's not there with you. It's not void of his presence. He's there. Um, One of the last beautiful things, so many beautiful things, (laughs) in my prep for this was, um, there's a big quote I'm gonna read, but was again, Robert Hubbard Jr. He made a parallel between Jericho, right, this beautiful story that marks us, it teaches us, but it doesn't kind of directly impact us unless we apply the truths to Jesus. He parallels it to Jesus, and he's, he basically, I'm going to read, but he shows that we can learn from that story, but we are directly impacted by the story mirrored in Jesus' life. And so you know how I said that Jericho was this decisive battle. It was going to set the tone for the coming battles that the Israelites were going to face, Um, Hubbard Jr. says this. In short, with Joshua, we share the theological assumption that there is a war on and that God fights for his people. The Jesus war, Jesus coming to earth and breaking darkness, actually continues the Yahweh war of the Old Testament. Warrior Jesus exercises the same power on our behalf today as warrior Yahweh did for Israel at Jericho. The cross and the resurrection mark Jesus' most decisive victory at Calvary and the empty tomb, God, through Christ, decisively defeated humanity's bittersweet enemies, sin and death. It defeated, dethroned, and disarmed the Prince of Darkness, a great victory that has paved the way for humans to receive salvation. Indeed, remembrance of Jesus' wonderful victories reassures us that we are on the winning side However difficult the Jerichos we face may seem, our confidence and persistence derive from the biblical fact that Jesus has won the decisive battle. So daily we enter the field of battle wherever God send us, sends us, knowing that his powerful presence surround us in our every step. We plod on humbly and patiently knowing that God already has the enemy on the run. Would you stand with me? We're just gonna, like I said, take time to respond. and I want those words... To kind of just sink in, um, maybe again you approach this passage in a way that was like, "Wow, I don't want to read this. <laughs> I don't. I'm feeling really heavy." Or maybe you're like, "Yeah, I'm not. You know, around a Jericho right now. I think I should probably get around someone else's." But I just want this to be a time of reflection, of response. Um, ask the question: What if I believed again that God is who He says He is? Like, what if I was convinced? What if I left this chapel, the one thing I took away was I was convinced that God is with me. Like, how would that radically change my life? What if I believed that with my roommate, who I know is going through something right now? What if I went and prayed with them and we believed together and when we didn't, we asked the Lord, help my unbelief, and then we prayed again? Like, how would that change things? Because I'm just convinced that it does. I'm convinced that if an uh, army can walk, no military strategy in that, can walk around a city then I can walk around my Jericho and the truths of old will be true today. And they're true because they're in the story of Jesus and it's beautiful and powerful and it impacts our lives directly. And so we're just gonna sing, be led, meditate on that, respond to that however you want. If you want prayer, like come up, go find someone. Um, if you see someone you wanna pray for, pray for them. We're just gonna respond uh, and then I'll come up and close a gap. We'll